What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode number 66. Last week, I was being interviewed by Ellie Mackay and uh, talking about my backstory and things like that. So this week, it's going to be just me and I am going into a question that came in from longtime listener Matt. And uh, Matt had a question on risk mitigation, which I'm going to get into shortly. Before I do, just wanted to say that the Mastermind is now live and I have a couple of people have actually signed up to it and it's quite exciting actually. So the those the first, I suppose, coaching call starts on Wednesday and um, it's for people that have actually kind of paid and are starting up. But I'm going to be doing a regular kind of presentation for anyone who's interested in joining up to the Mastermind. So please do reach out to me and let me know if you're interested in being on that presentation call. And uh, you can reach me on either um, through the Facebook community, which is Behind the Facade uh, community, uh, or you can just reach out to me through social media. So I'm going to get straight into it. It's it's uh, Sunday night and it is a bank holiday here in Ireland tomorrow. So I'm going to... Um, I'm not going to dwell too long. I'm going to get into Matt's question. So talking about risk mitigation. Now, just to go into the reason behind Matt asking this question, he is looking to start a property portfolio. And in order to find the capital that he needs to do that, he is interested in doing a home equity release from his mortgage. And uh, But the concern he has, which is very understandable, is that the timing is you know he's a bit worried uh, that the market could turn uh, after he's gone and borrowed this money and that the property that he buys with the money could fall in value putting his home at risk and things like that so how do we go about mitigating those risks and it's a great question and i think it's warrants a full episode on answering that so first of all the the concerns are most definitely warranted because this is something that can happen and almost nobody ever sees the recession approaching. It always looks fine in retrospect, but never at the moment because the way the property market works is it, it always lags behind. And so I can remember in 2007 starting to see signs of trouble ahead, uh, but just not being able to do anything about it because you're committed to projects that are going to take time to you know work out i had some projects that were actually like construction sites and you can't just close down the construction site you have to kind of keep going otherwise you're you're not going to be able to fulfill the project outcome that you're trying to fulfill so you're borrowing all this money to you know turn a property uh, turn a site into a piece of you know a building or you know some sort of an asset and it is not worth anything while it's a construction site with a hole in the ground. So you have to finish it out. And that's one of the risks that um, I faced into. And it did have quite a bit of repercussion on mine, on my sort of portfolio. So it's definitely a question worth asking. So how do you get into the mitigation? Well, I think the first thing we should probably do is go into what are the different risks. There's a number of different categories of risk, I would say. And um, it depends really whether you're talking about straightforward investing or whether you're looking at development. And I would say, in my opinion, there are eight risk categories, five for investing and an additional three if you're into the development of land. So let's start with the first one, shall we? Financial risk. And that involves banking and, uh, you know, re, uh, interest rates and all of that kind of stuff. The next is asset risk. And uh, that is the asset itself, the property itself. The third is market risk uh, or economic risk. And so that is the kind of the general market around you. The next is leasing risk. And um, 
that's obviously trying to find a tenant and then the, the next one is actually the tenant risk itself uh, the, the tenant and the leasing are two separate things in my opinion and i'll go into those reasons shortly in terms of the development the three extra development ones i would say planning risk is one construction risk is another and then timing risk as in project timing and that is something that can catch a lot of people out as i just went into a few minutes ago so the first thing to think of uh, when it, you know i talk about the mindset and i talk about the importance of the mindset and i think it's very very important that that is kept you know front and center when you're looking at all this kind of stuff you can't go around like a headless chicken you know kind of jumping up and down worrying about risk because risk is literally everywhere and we we normally calculate you know whether or not this is a genuine risk or this is something that's not um so probable and so what i want you to start doing is to start looking at things from a probability and a severity point of view and then just you know consider them in a non-emotional way as much as possible of course if you're tying your home up in this then there's a risk of you becoming very concerned and uh, you know having sleepless nights and stuff so we want to try to remove that and uh, mitigate the risks as best as possible but i do think you have to do this in a kind of emotionless way and look at it in a cold kind of um, clinical way and bring kind of some sort of a scientific approach to it. So for example, let's go into risk number one, which I mentioned, financial risk. So that involves banking risk, interest rates, all of that kind of stuff. And it's quite a wide range of risks inside the financial risk category. The first one to remember though, is that sitting back and doing nothing has a risk itself and financial risk because we're currently in an increased kind of inflationary period and literally just sitting back and doing nothing with your cash is costing you about 5% of the spending power of that cash every year at the moment. Now, normally that's around 2% or 2.5%, but because of COVID and all that kind of stuff, we're now looking at kind of a 5% um, inflation. And I'm seeing it on building sites, I'm seeing it on various things that there is just a there's, there's inflation creeping in kind of across the board and it's not just in Ireland and the UK it's happening in America now as well and everyone's starting to talk about it so doing nothing with your cash is costing you and so immediately it's at risk also if you're sitting on savings in the bank uh, like depending on where you're at uh, lo you know your location and depending on what what we're talking about in terms of a sum but the banks are currently charging people for uh, negative interest rates for putting your money in the bank and so sitting with a load of money in a bank account is going to cost you money and you're going to actually be losing interest rather than gaining interest so that is a risk doing nothing is a risk and so you got to weigh that up and think, think to yourself okay <laughs> since doing nothing is a risk then i may as well be doing something or i may as well weigh up the two and figure out which one carries the greater probability of loss and so if you have a mortgage on your home and you have some equity built up, your home is going up in value with the market. And so if, if the home is going up with the market, then, you know, that's probably better than letting your cash kind of lose value through inflation. The question is whether you want to release equity and leverage that by using another mortgage on a second property. Now, Having two properties certainly gives you double the chance of riding the market up, but of course it also doubles the risk of you riding the same market back down again. And if you take out the second mortgage, it means you've got that second obligation to make regular interest payments. Now, of course, you would hope that your rent will come in and will wipe that out. But um, there are risks, obviously, that interest rates are going to start to increase in the coming you know two three four five years whatever it is and so what you need to do is write down each of these risks that we've just gone over you know interest rates the likelihood of increases all of that kind of stuff and then just start thinking about the probability of that happening you can go and have a look at you know what the newspapers are saying you can have a look at what the stock market's thinking bond markets and stuff like that are all connected to this kind of look gazing into the future and of course it changes regularly but 
you can have an idea today what the likelihood is of say inflation being a risk or say interest rates increasing over the next while being a risk and after you've looked at the probability then you have to look at the severity and think about how could this impact you and like I can remember borrowing a load of money on a property back in 2006 I think it was and I can remember at the time when I took out the loan the interest rates were kind of floating um, meaning that it wasn't locked and I, I can remember the rent that I was getting in was so much and there was this nice cushion and my interest rates were kind of quite low and so I had this kind of nice tasty kind of cushion that just gave me surplus cash at the end of every quarter when the interest was being paid and I thought this is great I've got an extra few quid I'll go and put that into whatever else I needed for but over the coming two years the, the interest rates actually started to creep up and um, every half a percent or quarter of a percent because it was quite a big loan that I had I can remember every quarter of a percent would like knock thousands off the extra cash that I had in my pocket and I can remember because interest rates were starting to be increased by I think it was probably the European Central Bank or whatever it was you know every quarter you had um them they would make an announcement and they would say something like oh you know inflation is a problem again so we're going to increase this rate again by another quarter percent or whatever it was and every time they did this it just ate into that little cushion that i had been enjoying and i can remember getting to this point where i was starting to get concerned that the next quarter announcement that came from the you know the european central bank was actually going to start making me have to put money into this out of my own pocket that the rent was no longer covering it so that was a really sobering time and i can remember that at the time when i looked at should i fix the interest rates when you do that it always looks very unattractive because i was paying maybe you know one percent interest at the time and that's why why i had this lovely cushion of extra cash and if i wanted to fix that they were looking for kind of three percent or something like that and i can remember thinking what why would i give away all that extra cash that i've got um you know i want that extra cash now and so that's the price that you pay then when the interest rates are suddenly up at two and a half three percent and you're thinking to yourself whoa i wish i had locked in back then because then i wouldn't have to go past this point where now i have to put my hand in my own pocket but by then the fixing is no longer possible and if you look to fix then it'll probably be five percent uh, not the three that you could have got so there is always a price to pay with this and you have to think about it long and hard because you're going to be locked in for a period of time and you can't get yourself out of that so you have to be happy with whatever that level is at and you have to give it some thought but again it's kind of cold and calculated don't get emotional about this stuff and just look at it and say can i afford it if interest rates rise up and, and keep going would it be sensible to lock in now and be able to sleep at night knowing that the rate is fixed for five years ten years whatever it might be i know in america i'm hearing people that are locking in at like two and a half percent for 30 years and stuff so those guys will just never have to worry about that rate it's just fixed for the next you know two two decades three decades decades and um, so now that you've thought about that and you know the obvious way to mitigate against interest rates is to lock in but you do have to kind of make that you know that balancing act is a difficult one the other risk that i always think about when it comes to um, financial risk is just the likelihood of banks misbehaving or or behaving badly in the event of say some sort of a economic downturn now this happened to me and there's a thing that they call technical default mm -hmm. and that is where you're making your interest payments and um, and all that but because the market has crashed that the loan you have say if you have a loan of 150,000 on a property of 200,000 so you have 50,000 of equity there and let's say that the property value starts to fall and your equity gets wiped out and the loan ends up 150 but the property is now valued at 140 that is called a technical default 
and the banks can actually trigger a, a, a you know basically they can force you to sell the property in that event now it is unlikely that you know in the in the case of a big recession and they're dealing with thousands of people with this the likelihood is they're not going to be going after you if you're paying your interest and if you have the ability to pay even more interest like say you're able to kind of pay down some of the capital occasionally even though you don't have the obligation to do that at the time that's going to make you look like a good you know a good borrower and they're probably not going to go after you but you can be sure if you're in technical default and you stop paying making the payments uh, then you're going to be a target and they're going to come after you for that so one of the ways to protect yourself from that you know contaminating your other assets which was a big problem that i suffered from in the past is to do your equity release and take that cash out and you know don't do anything with that same bank that you took the money from because what they'll often do is they look to cross securitize uh, one loan against another so you take your equity out of your home you go and buy another property you go and take a mortgage out with that same bank and they'll be sort of like oh yeah what we'd like to do is actually tie your loan back to your home loan as well so they're kind of cross securitized now that is a big big risk because then if one goes then it brings the other one with it and i ended up losing some really nice properties because of that exact thing and so i would strongly recommend that you do not cross securitize your don't allow them to do that don't allow them to have second charges on other properties even though it might seem like it's a handy way to go and release extra cash um, I just I would just think very long and hard about it because you can end up losing that second property very easily one of the ways to avoid that is to look at the way that you're going to own the property so ownership the structure of ownership is something that can actually give you a safety net so for example if you can buy a property through your mortgage then your mortgage will be sitting separate if you can buy it through a company then it's completely separate now you might they might go after the company and they might force the company to go into liquidation and all that but that is completely disconnected from your home loan situation and so just means that they're not pulling one down after the other and um, it might just allow you to sleep a little bit better at night i i remember meeting a guy when i was living in spain and um, he had you know loads and loads of money borrowed from the banks but he had it all through a company and i can remember he was so relaxed and he just was like you know i'm just going to walk away from the company they can take the whole lot if they want why would i bother i'll just start again and um, i'll start borrowing money now um because he hadn't got the cross contamination issues and the bank were pleading with him to work with them and to kind of continue to manage the property because they didn't want to take over all that grief and that hassle and he was in this great position to be able to kind of like say play hardball like why would i bother like I just I'll just walk away like you know just liquidate the company who cares kind of thing and um it was interesting to see i was in a i was in a very difficult position because i had taken the money out personally in my name and they were all cross secured so the bank can just play you know play hardball with you whereas the shoes on the other foot it's actually a nice position to be in right let's get into the second one the second risk is asset risk and by that it kind of encapsulates a lot of different types of risks that are actually you know inherent in a property itself and the asset so that could mean location risk but usually what i would consider is is that it's basically looking at the condition of the property itself and so when you buy a property you take on all the issues that come with it and in the event say that you've bought like an old house if you buy a, a you know a house that is built kind of around about the war time or after the war or whatever you're going to be looking at various risks around obsolescence so you might have old pipe work or old electrical work you might have damp running through the house you might have dry rot that's actually something that can be hard to see and uh, a good friend of mine she uh, discovered dry rot in her home in recent times in the last like 12 months or so and she you know they found it in their their sitting room 
they removed this, the, the skirting boards and they found, oh, okay, it's, it's actually in the wall. They had to go and take, you know, sort of hack down some of their wall. They found it, it was actually in the floorboards of the first floor. They had to start pulling up the floors and the carpets and everything on the first floor. They found it had gone up into the roof. It's incredible. And I mean, they actually had to move out of the house while the person, while the, the guys went in to actually strip it down and, and do all this work. That's very, very costly, obviously, and very disruptive, but there was no sign of it. And so there's always these risks that you just have to be careful. There's also, obviously, there's, you know, flood risk. Are you buying a property that is, you know, look at Germany at the moment. Those guys are really, you know, looking at uh, what um, damage from flooding can do. Subsidence risk is another one where stuff starts to kind of crack and uh, you might have, you know, a sinkhole in the area or whatever. Coastal erosion, that is actually something that I've seen. I have a, or I had a property until recently on the west coast of Ireland and um, it was getting eroded away by just the Atlantic Ocean. And um, I had, it had been quite a bit more land when I bought it years ago and just coastal erosion had just eaten away quite a lot of the frontage. And, um, you know, you just get the picture. This this is an asset risk. You, you, you take on these risks and they're the only way to really mitigate these is to get a good survey done by a professional and obviously if you're serious about buying a property you want to get a good survey done but if you're just looking at opportunities and you're kind of doing approximate feasibilities a lot of the time it's too expensive to get a survey done at that outset so the best thing is just to kind of put aside certain contingent contingency sums in your calculations so that in the event that you do proceed with the um, purchase of the property and you do get it surveyed, this kind of stuff could come out of the woodwork, uh, pardon the pun. So good survey carried out. Uh, now, of course, it's not completely, you know, that's not completely watertight, we'll say. It's um, the mitigation of the risk is, you know, is substantial when you get a good survey, but you don't, when you don't own a property, you can't go in and start tearing up walls and floors and things like that. So there could be stuff that you haven't um, fully exposed when you're in the process of doing that survey. And so always just make an assumption that there could be something. I've, I went and did up a house and found you know things behind walls and that you find, suddenly you realize that you can't use this wall it's it's too old or it's it's got sort of problems with the type of brick that's used or whatever and so you have to take down sections of it and put up new ones and stuff so there's always issues when you get into refurbing a house and if it's an older house you might find that the insulation isn't up to scratch you have to go and replace all of that these things can be costly another aspect of asset risk is actually you know the whole legal side because I can remember buying a property and it had a title. It had a problem with the title and um, it meant that the bank were a little bit nervous. So in the end, now we fixed it just by buying some title insurance and it didn't cost much to actually fix that risk, but it still is something that can come out of the woodwork and give you a bit of a fright. Um, there's also planning risk in the event that you buy the property and it has some aspect of it that was built without permission. I've seen that recently and you have to go in and regularize that. So, I mean, these are, you know, minor enough risks. Also neighbor disputes. And this is something that I've actually seen. We bought a construction site or a piece of land that will be a construction site. At the moment, it's just a piece of land. But when we bought it, it had this nice boundary fence running around it. And the second time we went to visit, the boundary fence in front of a neighbor's property had moved miraculously about two meters. And we were walking over and we know, hold on, why is there a kink in the fence? And we could even see the holes in the ground where the fence had been moved from. But this was basically the neighbors having a, a go at some squatters rights and trying to claim that their land extended much further into our land. And so that's the kind of thing. So obviously ways to mitigate around that when you get into property um, buying land and things like that is just to extensively photograph it or to get you know a proper survey done pretty quickly so that that kind of thing is captured by professionals and that you have exactly 
you know all of the dimensions and things like that that where the property is this kind of stuff happens all the time people kind of think oh i bet you they won't notice if we move our fence you know two meters that way or half a meter you know all of this kind of stuff gets tranced if you're not building on the land immediately um, there's also you know legal due diligence you can do and you can check out all these things risk number three and this is probably one of the biggest ones is market risk or you could call it economic risk and it's basically like i'm guessing this is the one that most people are scared of because at the moment the 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 housing market is just on fire it's so hot at the moment and anytime that something is really really hot like that you have to assess what are the risks of that cooling off anytime in the near future uh, will it just stabilize or will it actually fall back um, and go below where it's currently at? Now, who has a crystal ball and who wants to go and get into, you know, crystal ball gazing? It's very difficult to tell um, in advance, but obviously when you're looking at a deal, you have to factor in the possibility of it, of it, you know, turning around or the market getting hot. One of the biggest mistakes you can do is when you're buying a property, is start making assumptions about the future value of it and the future value of rent. Like the deal has to make sense today, the day that you're buying the property. Don't build in all this kind of hope value. That's something that I saw back before the crash, the last crash, that what we were doing is we were looking at property and the property didn't make sense the day we were buying it, but we were saying, yeah, but you know, it's gonna grow by 25% in the next couple of years. And so, so it's actually gonna be worth this amount. And the rent is, you know, it's not currently, make, you know, washing its face, but with a bit more rental growth, it'll be washing its face. And this is the way people were thinking. And so they were buying things way above the value of them, just on that hope value. So don't build that in. It has to stack up today. Um, and it not just stack up in terms of washing its face, but you've also got to build in the potential for market falling back a little bit interest rates increasing a little bit whatever it is build yourself in that little bit of um, breathing space because you know you're just guaranteed to be in a difficult position and finding it hard to sleep at night if you buy something that is so you know close to not working that all it takes is one of those components for it to kind of fall over and next minute you know You've got the bank ringing you up you know you're short on your interest this month and this i've actually had that when i got my mortgage on my house in spain they gave me uh, i think it was two years interest only and uh, and that was great my mortgage was like basically half and at the end of the two years i remember it suddenly jumped uh, to twice the size of the payments and I can remember thinking, oh, wow, this is very painful. Now I'm going, to go to, I'm going to go back in and ask for them to put it back on interest only. So I go to the bank and they tell me that th that's not possible any longer, that the rules of the Central Bank of Spain are that there's no interest only uh, mortgages any longer. It must have capital repayment in it. And they were completely inflexible. Like, that was it. Your mortgage is what your mortgage is. There is no adjustment and what it meant actually was that my my the rent that i was getting was no longer washing the face of the mortgage and i had to top it up every month and that is very painful to do especially when you've enjoyed this like big reduction prior to that so i think i was i don't know i, I was probably collecting rent of about a thousand a month more than my mortgage and then suddenly the mortgage went to about 500 a month more than the rent i was getting so it was it was a painful one um what else have we got here local market risk yeah actually this is a good one um local market risk i would say is part of market risk but if you're in an area you've got to look at the particular area that you're in and you've got to consider uh, are you surrounded is the property that you're buying for rental are you surrounded by other renters uh, properties you know are is every single property on the street that you're on owned by an investor and rented out to renters or do you have a mix of owner occupiers that is an important thing to look at because if you decide to put your property up for sale if it's an area that is found attractive by 
families and you know if there's a school in the area and all that kind of stuff um, you'll find that you can sell your property easily to somebody who's looking to live in that area but if it's only a renting area and there's only landlords then you could find that nobody's interested in buying your property because um, because you know the market is starting to fall off that's where the owner occupiers think about it slightly differently they don't look at property in the same way that a landlord does they thought to think oh no i want to live in this area therefore we're going to buy regardless of the way the market is so you'll always have a buyer for a property in a place like that but if you're buying in a place that is filled with uh, investors and stuff like that then you may find that nobody's interested in buying when it when it, you want to sell the property also um if you look at what causes the market to get so hot that actually can kind of inform you on the future you know possibilities so there have been supply demand imbalances before the pandemic hit and that's why residential market you know is doing well 12 to 18 months of you know lockdown and covid restrictions and all that has just meant that far fewer properties were put up for sale um, far fewer people were out looking at properties for sale and you know banks weren't lending money as easily and so there's just been this big kind of delay of everything and what that has done is that has meant that there are much much more people in the market looking for property there's much less property on the market than there was and um, and it's just created this kind of imbalance this massive imbalance and so you have um you it's just it's pushed up demand and it has also dropped supply in that period and now there's this kind of pent-up demand of people that have been spending far less over the lockdown period so they've got more savings to spend and there's just a big catch-up underway at the moment and you know that is a good thing that's what's driving up prices at the moment but you have to wonder when will that run out or will it just continue it's possible it'll continue but that's again where you kind of have to sort of sit back and think okay what is the probability and what is the severity if this goes wrong and then you got to think about what are the events that could cause the sentiment to change so if we start seeing inflation will that change the environment um it may it, it may actually continue to push prices up interest rates definitely if interest rates start to rise you're going to see the property market impacted by that because when the when the market rises you have less money to borrow for the same um, property and so you know if, if if you're making a payment every month of 750 and suddenly the rates have gone up and it's now 850 for that very same property well then your spending power has just been cut a little bit and so you can't afford the same property and so suddenly whole swathes of the market are kind of removed and that starts to drive prices down covid support and all of the kind of stuff that the government's doing to kind of prop up the economy that's going to come out come to an end at some stage and so when that happens what's it going to do to the market is it going to mean that suddenly people have less spending power a little bit more nervous less you know just less economic activity also you've got all this eviction protection and you've got loan forbearance so banks can't go after people at the moment that is all going to come to an end at some point now it may not happen straight away but when it does that could well trigger some sort of reaction in the market where you suddenly have loads of properties being you know close, uh, foreclosed by banks and stuff uh, other things that can impact markets change of government all you need is a you know a, uh, some sort of party coming into power that is you know seen as say a, a party that likes to tax investors and things like that and then suddenly you might see a change economic downturn of course global events can cause those it may not be anything that happens in your country it could be something that happens beyond your country so something that happens to the global economy a new covid surge like this delta all that kind of stuff that can cause it so again cold um scientific you know consideration of the probability what is the probability of this you know and um, it's it's like crystal ball gazing but you've just got to think how can i mitigate this how can i reduce the risks 
to the property deal that I'm doing? Is there a way to just lessen these kind of risks and make it a bit easier for myself? And um, obviously choosing the area that you buy, choosing a popular area, all that kind of stuff helps. Adding value definitely helps. I think if you're buying a residential property and it's just, you know, a run of the mill place like every other place, not a lot of opportunity to add value to actually increase the price. Whereas if you buy something that's a kind of a fixer upper, you might actually be able to add some value. Uh, one other aspect of market risk before we move on is sectoral risk. And by that, you know, you would have seen in the last 12, 18 months with COVID that the leisure sector has been really, really badly impacted. The food and beverage sector terribly affected. Airlines, hotels, tourism, all badly impacted by um, COVID. And so that is a sector that's really badly impacted. Now, on the other hand, you've got logistics and you know online commerce and stuff like that those guys are absolutely flying away so it's makes you kind of think to yourself whoa okay you know sectoral that could have an impact residential obviously not so badly impacted but think about the property or think about the sector that you're in if you're leasing to commercial property tenant you need to think about that because there's risks obviously <laughs> Number four, leasing risk. And this is probably more of an issue when you're involved in commercial property again, but you don't really have to think this through in much detail when you're you know, looking at residential property, um, unless of course the property is very remote or isolated or that you're in an area that has kind of like drug problems or whatever, or say you're next to a landfill or some sort of a, an area with pollution. But generally speaking, Residential property is not that badly impacted. Unless, again, we talked about, you know, location specific stuff. If you buy a five bedroom house in an area that is populated by mostly two and three beds or apartment blocks and stuff, how many people are out there actually looking to move into that area to buy a five bed? The fact that there's only two and three beds is a little bit of a hint that it's not, um, it is not a, you know, a property that is likely to have a huge number of buyers. So you might be the person who kind of sees a great opportunity there, but it just might be wrong for that particular area. Um, the most obvious way to mitigate these risks is to rent the property in advance of buying it and um, have your pre-let in place. And it's always advisable with commercial property to do this. Do not take a punt unless you really have thought this thing through one of the reasons why you hear the term anchor tenant so often around shopping centers is because this is how they secure the property um, uh, and mitigate the risk if you if you manage to bring in tesco or marks and spencers they're such a massive chain and they and they sell kind of all of the goods that people need every single day so that's going to bring shoppers into their shopping center and it anchors their scheme and because they're there, it'll bring in all of the other tenants that they want. And this is your way of mitigating with a shopping center. Buying a commercial building with no tenant is very risky. Um, the pre-let is certainly what I would advise. But having said that, probably some of the best deals that I've ever done have been buying the unit empty. And the reason is, is that when a unit is empty, it is almost worthless and you can you know in the in my case uh, multiple times i more than doubled i in fact three three x'd my money in, in a couple of cases simply by buying a vacant unit and then finding the tenant and putting the tenant in and that you know when the tenant had moved in and the property was now rented fully rented it was worth two three times what i had paid for it so great way to make money there and one of the big superpowers that you can do for yourself is to build relationships with those kind of tenants. Tenants that have like a national presence in the country, whatever that might be, you know, it used to be video chains and it used to be all these things. The world is changing slightly, but if you had built up a, a say a um, relationship with the property person in Starbucks or something like that, and you're having a coffee or a beer with this person and you're saying, you know, where do you want to where what are you looking for what are the what are the areas that you're looking to put these places 
and they tell you, well, you know, if the, if if you were able to get us a place in this location, that would really, really great. Off you go into that location, having a look, and then you find a vacant unit and you sort of say, okay, I'd like to buy that. You go and buy it as an empty unit and then you have your tenant in the bag already to go in. And if you can even get a lease before you've actually paid for the property, you can actually totally de-risk that deal and end up with your tenant moving in the day that you buy the property and suddenly the person who sold the property is looking at you know a starbucks or whatever moving in and wondering how did you pull that one off and uh, that is it's basically a license to print money if you can go if you can do that kind of thing so it's it's worth putting in the time and effort to kind of cultivate relationships with national national tenants like that number five tenant risk and now it seems like tenant risk and leasing risk are the same, but I consider them to be separate. And the reason is, is that as soon as you've found your tenant, now uh, you've got the, the issue of, is that a good tenant or not? And uh, you had the problem of a vacant unit, you mitigated that by leasing it, but now all of a sudden you have to think about, is this tenant actually going to be here in the long term? Will they remain solvent? Can they afford the rent? What if they're what if the sector that they're in turns and um, you know what if people start to lose their jobs? What if they're furloughed? All of that kind of stuff becomes an issue. And so um, you really do have to give this some thought and always the mitigation to do here is simply to look at the references and to do a little bit of digging into the finances of your tenant before you accept them and bring them into your property. Um, due diligence, all that kind of stuff. Do not take shortcuts. Look for landlord references, bank references, trade references, whatever is appropriate. And uh, because this can be the worst, like when, when, when people, like there's two types of tenants as well. There's ones that mean well, but are interested in a difficult situation and you kind of want to help them. And then there's the guys that actually just, they're kind of, that's just how they're made. They, they always like to take advantage of somebody or, or a situation and they just have no intention of paying you the rent. And it's just very, very frustrating having to deal with that. And you can catch that stuff by just, you know, speaking to previous landlords, would they be happy to rent to this same person again or not? And a lot of them will just sort of say, you know, between you and me off the record, no, I wouldn't touch this guy, but you know, don't, um, don't, don't, you know, quote me on that. And uh, one thing, just a little thing to remember, uh, when somebody misses a month, of rent or a quarter of rent and they owe you the longer you let that go the more and more difficult it becomes for them because they now owe not just the, the missed rent but they owe the new month's rent or the new quarter's rent so they actually have a payment of twice what they normally have to come up with now if they're struggling to make a payment of one month how are they going to find it easier to make a payment of two months and if you just let that grow it becomes almost impossible and you're almost definitely going to lose a couple of months of rent on this you have to nip it in the bud quickly and um it, you know it's not an easy one because people might have genuine reasons for why they're in that situation but uh you're going to end up paying the price if you don't and um i've i've had situations where i've allowed somebody oh you know uh, you know trade is a bit bad this month you know i'll pay you next month and then you go to them and well here's next month here's the month's rent but like I'm, I'm still just trying to play catch up and that builds and builds and builds and you end up having to write off you know six months of rent or something like that because they're just never going to catch up and so those are the five investment risks now obviously there's going to be, uh, if you're going to get into development, there's going to be those additional risks that I mentioned. There's three more. There's planning risk, construction risk, and timing risk. And I, um, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail on these because I think the question was asked around the investment side. But planning risk is obviously, you know, the, the zoning may not be appropriate for the what you want to do. Your plans might be for 50 units. You might only get 35. There's all of these issues with planning. And so things get shot down by the planners, neighbors object, all of that kind of stuff. Um, if you're going to buy property subject to planning, it can mitigate that risk. And always, if you're going to do something and you have neighbors, it's 
always an idea to pop in for a friendly chat beforehand and just sort of like say look here's what i'm planning on doing thought i'd like to hear you know your opinion and stuff and a lot of the time the neighbor is only delighted that you gave them that you know courtesy and they don't object because of that whereas if you just throw the old planning sign up on the front garden and they haven't been consulted that can be a little red rag to the bull <laughs> and they come after you and start throwing in all sorts of observations and stuff that'll slow down your application number seven construction risk this is an obvious one but you know cost overruns unexpected comes out of the woodwork as we mentioned earlier uh, it's not it's if it's if it's not in the condition report then stuff can come out and bite you surveys obviously are important but things like rock for example if you're going to be doing a development and you're trying to excavate your foundations and you suddenly find that there's a lot of rock running through the middle of your foundation strip that is expensive to, you got to get rock breakers in and that can add a lot of expense to the development and the builder is not always on the hook for that it's the client is on the hook because the builder will have done say a certain number of test holes or in certain places around the place and if it was clear then that's it that's fine off you go uh, and then they just happen to find it in the one place that they didn't put the borehole uh, or the uh, the test hole um, always to in order to mitigate against that stuff it's always important to just put contingency sums into your budget and that is a sum that is just literally there for to cover five or ten percent in the event of something unexpected like that maybe it's the adjoining property um, you know anything at all can be there and so this is kind of tied closely to the asset risk one i mentioned in the investment side and then lastly we have uh, number eight which is timing risk and when you are in the process of building a development you have got timing risk and the project is underway it's going to take say 12 18 months to go and build it out and when you are doing something like that the market can change direction while you're in the process of building and this happened to me and it's it's very very difficult if not impossible to reverse you've got um you know you've you've borrowed so much money you're in the middle of your development and suddenly the market sentiment is starting to change and while you're in the middle of doing it you're just slowly watching the market turning nasty and you're still trying to build this thing as quickly as possible and get it out of the ground and by the time your project is finished and you want to go and put the places up for sale suddenly you find that the market is no longer there so timing risk is a big one and um, one of the ways that you can possibly mitigate that is is to get pre-sales in place and things like that you can also find that the banks will actually stop lending you the money halfway through so this is tied to market and financial risks so i hope that um answers some of the questions that you have like i'm sure there's a load more that i haven't gone into that i just didn't pop into my head but this is one that you just have to sit back and say okay there's there's risk doing nothing and there's risk doing something and therefore it's a calculated risk do i want to do this or do i not am i going to go and just look at it, the probability and the severity and just weigh those things up in uh, isolation and just think about how you know where am i right now compared to where i might be if this goes right and then where am i if this thing goes wrong and you know looking at the option is the upside greater than the downside is the risk of there being that downside worth the upside risk you just have to look at that like it's very hard to tell um for me to tell anybody what what you know because it depends on a number of factors it depends on your your family situation it depends on your you know the number of obligations you have at the moment and your responsibilities and so you have to look at that like certainly a single guy young guy who uh, doesn't have you know f children and family commitments and things like that you're in a far better position to go out and take a lot of gambles because if you lose it all you can kind of start again whereas you know family a man uh, kids in school all that kind of stuff you don't have the same luxury because you've got all of this obligation you've got to go and pay school fees you've got to go and pay rent you've got to pay, you know keep everybody fed that means that you are in a different position to the other guy 
And so try not to compare what stuff is being done by people that are not in the same situation as you. You just don't know. That's why I always say don't compare yourself to others because you just have no idea what the situation is like on the other side. And there may be all sorts of things going on in that person's life that allows them to take these risks that you cannot take. All right, guys, that is it for episode number 66 of Behind the Facade. Thanks so much for listening. As always, my number one ask is just to leave a review or share this episode out with anyone you think might benefit from it. Let me know if you enjoyed the uh, this one today. You know, just send me a message and let me know how it helped you. And if there's any risks that I didn't cover that you've thought of, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes for my next one. In the show notes, well, there's not going to be any show notes today other than maybe a link to my um, stuff on my mastermind. If you have any questions, topics you'd like me to uh, cover in future episodes, please connect with me in the Facebook group Behind the Facade community or through social media. And as always, my social media handle is Gavin J. Gallagher and you'll find me on YouTube using that very same. Lastly, you can stay up to date with various events and challenges I'm working on along with um, my calendar and stuff of things that are going on and you'll find that over in gavinjgallagher.com and if you add in forward slash go it'll take you to the email list so you can add your name to my email list. All right folks hope you're going to have a great week I'm going to enjoy my bank holiday tomorrow and I'll speak to you again next week. Mm -hmm.